0: Imagine that you're a fairly new believer in Jesus living in the midst of a society that is swirling with thoughts and ideas and philosophies about how to live a fruitful life. Now, you know that Jesus has called you to that kind of life. He's called you to a noble life, a life that is full of wisdom and understanding, a meaningful, productive, and fruitful life. But you just aren't quite sure how to attain to that. And what's worse, everyone around you seems to have an opinion about what it takes to get there, and it's just confusing. If you can relate to some of those feelings, you'll love the book of Colossians. This is the ninth episode in our series, A Firm Foundation, and we're going to be diving into one of Paul's most iconic passages Colossians 3 1 17. Here we go. Okay, so this is the uh, ninth episode in our Firm Foundation series, and I've got Josh Bergstrom with me. He is the manager of video production here at Pure Life Ministries. Thanks for coming in.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Um, So we're going to go through Colossians three verses one to 17 in this series or in this episode. For those who have been following us all the way through, they get the deal, right? Like this series is about trying to help people really understand that the Bible has relevant, powerful truth for us in our lives. And if we would just, if we would really immerse our minds in the word of God, then we would be able to see how valuable it is, and then especially as we apply it to our lives, then there will be a, a strength in our lives internally. So we've done a lot of different scriptures already so far, and at this point, we're, we're really trying to key in on some general foundational Christian living scriptures. So that's what chapter 3 verses 1 to 17 in Colossians is all about. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we get into the actual into that passage, let's talk about context, and what did you learn as you were studying?
1: Yeah, so uh, Colossians is one of the prison epistles written by the Apostle Paul. Um, He was a prisoner in Rome, but he wasn't in a Roman prison. He was under house arrest, so he had more freedoms. Uh, He have visitors and things like that. Um, It was written in the early 60s, written about the same time as Ephesians and uh, Philemon. There's debate on whether he actually visited Coloss, Colossae, whatever, school of thought you want to go into, Colossae, Coloss. Mm. I'll use Colossae. <laughs> um, uh, it's debated on whether he actually went there, but most scholars uh, agree that he didn't visit this church, that it was founded by Epaphras, um, and you can read about that in Acts. So Colosse was um, in, this, in the land called Phrygia uh, in Asia Minor, and you usually hear it whenever you studied out. out. Um, lumped in with two other cities, Laodicea and Hierapolis. It was on this road that led from Ephesus all the way to the Euphrates, so there was a lot of traffic going in and out. It was a great big crossroads for a lot of people, a lot of different religions, a lot of different philosophies uh, going in and coming out. And what sets it apart from Ephesus, um, Ephesus, they had like pretty much one major religion, uh, Diana, Artemis. That was kind of the main thing. Well, Mm. Colossae... There wasn't one. It mm. was it was just this smattering of different religions, different thoughts everywhere, and everything was accepted. And what I found that was interesting was this city is um, near the river Meander. And if you look up what that word means, it kind of gives an idea of what the, the people there dealt with. Um, and this definition of Meander is really cool. It says, to move aimlessly and idly without any fixed direction. And so... When you pull from all these different things, like Colossae was doing, you know, you're just wandering aimlessly. There's there's no fixed direction, no no aim. And so, you know, Paul writes this letter to this church that um, he's probably never been to. So why is he writing this letter? We have some internal evidence, uh, a few verses, handful of verses. By the way, I read the NASB ninety five mm. edition. So in chapter 2, Paul gives these uh, three verses. He, He says to the Colossians, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. Then in verse 16 and 18, he says, Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement, the worship of angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. Uh, In that area, the angel Michael was kind of like the chief angel that some of these people uh, worshiped. And it's said that, a hey, Michael came to our our city one time and saved us from a flood. And there's these natural elements in Colossae. They have these natural hot springs. And so people are like, wow, well, that's divinity right there. And there was this big hole that had this really bad stench that would come up. And it said like birds would fly over it and they'd fall dead. And so there's some kind of divinity happening there. So there's all sorts of stuff going on in this area. And you don't see in, in Colossians, like, you, you can't put a finger on it, like this is exactly what it is, it's just like a whole bunch of different things. And so that's kind of like, it's like the germs of Gnosticism, Gnosticism wasn't given that name from what I know until like the second century, but what we have here is syncretism. And so it's all these, combining all these different philosophies into one trying to figure out life by pulling from from all sorts of stuff. And so as I was looking up that word syncretism, uh, there's this one definition that I came across, and it says, the combination or attempted combination of different religions, cultures, or schools of thought. And the example sentence I thought was very interesting. Uh, the example sentence said, interfaith dialogue can easily slip into syncretism. So when we start talking about different religions, trying to combine them, you just that's what it uh, goes into, it's this melting pot of ideas. And I was thinking, just recently, King Charles was put into onto the throne. and. He wanted at the ceremony to have Christian prayer, a Hindu prayer, a Muslim prayer. So he wanted this whole synchronic thing going on and it was rejected. But just that idea that he, he wanted that, it's, it's, it's a major thing even today, not just back when this letter was
0: written. I like what you were saying about why was this letter written? Because I think when we, when we teach people about Bible study, that's a key question that as you read through a book of the Bible, you should ask yourself, why was this written? Because each book or letter was written for a very specific purpose. And if we can understand the problem that was uh, being addressed or the goal of each letter, we can see how it is timelessly relevant for us. So when I looked at this letter, I thought, I looked at Paul's prayer in verses 9 through uh, 11, and I'm reading from the ESV, it says, And so from the day we heard, basically, of your faith, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. So that's what Paul wants for the Colossians. And then the question, so how does that happen? Mm-hmm. Like how do you get to a place where your life is filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, and you're walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, and you're bearing fruit in every good work, you're increasing in the knowledge of God, you're being strengthened with all power. How does that happen, really? And like you were saying, it doesn't happen by just wandering aimlessly through life Mm -hmm. and picking up little truths here and there. Oh, that was nice, and I like that, and that sounds good to me. I mean, in America, that's what we're we're surrounded by, that kind of thing. It's not one clear, strong religion. You've got all these different ideas and philosophies being presented, and everything is being presented as the truth or the way to a, a fruitful life, mm-hmm. and it's like... Is that how I should live my life? This is so relevant to us. Is that how I should live my life? Should I pull a little bit in from Eastern religions? Should I pull in a little bit from the self-help guru? Should I pull in a little bit from psychology? Should I pull in a little bit from Catholicism? And just like as long as it appears to have truth, then I can learn from it. And Paul has a totally different thing in mind.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I see that too. Like uh, when people try to Take the new age today and they say they try to reclaim they say reclaim some truths there's there's some um there's some precious things over there that we've got to reclaim and it's like no no. right yeah that's yeah and paul you know emphatically throughout this letter is like yeah it's christ jesus is preeminent and he's he's what we need to focus on
0: yeah and he's i think you already read this i don't want you to be deluded with plausible arguments, things that sound good and they sound true. There's an appearance of truth there. Um, And then he says it later about asceticism. He says, these indeed have an appearance of wisdom. So it seems like there's, like Paul has a couple of things in mind. One is outright lies, but Mm. then things which appear to be true or have an element of truth in them and we need we need to be discerning with both of those things because there's a lot of things out there claiming to be true or with an element of truth. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm I just go back and I look at at how Satan tempted Adam and Eve and if you really carefully look at his deceptions, there's a lot of truth in his deception, mm-hmm. right? Because that's how he gets us to buy in or to start questioning. Well, maybe what he's saying is true, and that's I think that's something that we need to be aware of. Which is why we need the you know the full knowledge and that
1: wisdom from from the Lord because we yeah we can be totally easily deceived. As soon as we pick on a little bit of truth, it's like we kind of agree with everything else. Mm. But you know we need to you know have that discernment.
0: Yeah, and you know so as I as I looked at this passage, I realized okay. If Paul is trying to, if the goal is, I want you to be growing in such a way that you are filled with the knowledge of God's will, you are walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, you're bearing fruit in every good work, and I I want you to not be deceived by these other paths that are saying, oh, I'll, I'll get you there, right? Because all of that, that's the reason that we follow a deceptive path is because it seems like, oh, it's going to give me what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, like like you said, Paul is saying, listen, it is not, it, you don't have to have all this complicated belief system and this smattering of truth from all these other people. You just need Jesus. You really just need Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, a relevant challenge. Do we really believe that? In our lives, do we really believe, I just need Jesus, that in him is all the treasures of wisdom and understanding? And I think he actually says that in this. Mm -hmm. Or do I believe that, oh, well, yeah, I know Jesus is the way, but... Mm-hmm. then I'm looking to all of these other places to find truth. Yeah, yeah, I got it. It's Jesus. Yeah, it's Jesus. Mm-hmm. But the reality of my life says I'm just I'm searching in all of these other places outside of, of him. Mm-hmm. Well, I think
1: well prior to this uh, passage that we're going to talk about, I think in order to do what you just said, I mean, we have to understand that we're dead. We, we have to understand we've died with Christ and, and Paul spends right before chapter three and verse two talking a lot about, and as I was studying this, I was like wow, he talks a lot about our death and how Jesus is the source of our life. In verse 12, he talks about being buried with him in baptism um, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God. Uh, verse 13, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him. Verse 20, if you have died with Christ, to the elementary principles of the world. So we have to understand that we are really we really are dead. You know, in Galatians he talks about, I'm crucified, um, it's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. I've been crucified to the world and the world been crucified to me. So there's this, this idea of, I'm not a part of this world anymore. So anything that the world has to offer me is just a lie, it's deceptive, it really holds no truth. It's Jesus because I've died with him and I've been raised to life with him. Hmm. And so chapter three kind of starts talking about what this new life should look like. And I'll just say kind of the way that I study the Bible is I really get distracted with numbers, chapter numbers, verse numbers. And so, um, and I know we've mentioned this before, the Bible study program I use is ESWORD. And so I'll copy and paste and I'll put that in a Word document and I'll just be free of everything but but words. And so I like to do that with these letters because that's how a letter is supposed to be read, you right. know. I'm not reading an old letter from my wife like, oh yeah, Dina wrote in chapter 2 of her letter to me. <laughs> no, it's just a full, you know, just read it all the way through. Right. That's how they're supposed to be read in the churches too. So I like to do that. And so what what I'm going to do is just kind of go through different paragraphs and just kind of pull out some things about what this new life setting our mind on Christ which is what you know, he's calling these Colossians to do. You're dead, here's your new life, set it on Christ. And so he starts off and says, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, so he's kind of leaving the death thing, he's like, okay, now you're dead, or you, you died, now you're alive. Here's what it looks like. Therefore, you have been raised up, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. And so just a few things that stuck out to me in that was where Paul says, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, um, he's continuing to hone in on this point, saying, look, you and your sinful nature, you've died to that. You died on the cross with Jesus. You've been crucified with Christ but now you've also been raised with him. And so uh, the Holy Spirit is in you, the very same Holy Spirit that raised G- Christ Jesus from the dead. So if you've been raised up with that, you need to keep seeking the things that are above. And he's, uh, he says, that's where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Paul's not trying to give a trivial pursuit fact like, oh, hey, where's Christ? Oh, he's seated at God's right hand. No, there's meaning to that. He's, he's trying to accentuate the fact that we're there with him. Like it's not this Christ is up there and I'm down here. No, we're up there with him. He says that in Ephesians. We're seated with him in in heavenly places and he's there right now. And that should be very important to us and how we live out our life. Um, Albert Barnes says this about that. He says, the argument here is that since Christ is there and since he is the object of our supreme attachment, we should fix our affections on heavenly things and seek to be prepared to dwell with him. So not just knowing that we're there, but preparing ourselves to one day be with him because he goes on to say, uh, when Christ comes back and is revealed, you'll be revealed with him mm. as well. So there's this whole preparation thing and to do that is we gotta, which we'll talk about in a minute, set our mind on the things above. Um, he says, you know, keep seeking, implying that we should already be doing that. It's not, it shouldn't have been a revelation to these believers. Um, that's how they were saved and so it should be something that's continually on their mind as a part of the new creation that has gone on inside of them. But not only are they new creations, they're new citizens. They're not of the world anymore. They, they have a, a heavenly citizenship. And so, like, when you go to a, a new country, have you ever been out of that country? Have you been to mm-hmm. Mexico on a mission trip or something? Mm-hmm. I went to China one time, and I wanted to know how to conduct myself all over there. So I had to study the customs and the culture of that, you know, of that area. And so, same thing here, you know, we're on earth but we're really in heaven and so that's where our home is going to be and so we need to learn now how to live there. Mm. And then Paul goes on to say a very practical thing, set your mind on the things above, not on the things of the earth and, you know, the mind is very important in Scripture. I mean, it's the Lord gave us our mind and it's one of the things that, you know, we're told to love the Lord our God with all of, all of our mind. And This idea of setting your mind has been really key for me in my walk in victory over sexual sin. Um, It's just I set my mind on pornography and sexual sin, and now the the complete opposite end of the spectrum is like I want to set my mind on something that's beautiful, and uh, I want to adore Christ like I did, you know, not like like I did pornography in that extreme. I want to be. I want to love. Jesus in that same way. So setting my mind is what I've been doing uh, mm. these past 16 years now. Mm. And sexual sin now is like so far away for me. I mean, it's, it's always, it, there's a temptation. There's kind of a draw, but it's like, nah. You know, I, I got Jesus. I, I really do, and I've, I fall in love with him by setting my mind on him, by getting into the word, and just filling that extra time that I even have with worship music. Uh, a good sermon, something like that, just setting my mind hmm. um, on him.
0: Yeah, I something that you said earlier really resonated with me that I think is valuable for people to understand because back in, I can't remember exactly, oh, you said that we should seek the things that are above because that's how we were saved, right? We were saved by seeking after the Lord. And I think sometimes, maybe, maybe we all fall into this thing. It's like there was a moment in our life where we knew, I really need Jesus. And I, I need to leave this world behind. M- my life's a mess. And so I'm really seeking after the Lord. And then it's like, oh, great. Now I'm saved. And so now I can just mm-hmm. kind of do life and I get swallowed up by the cares and the concerns of the world, and I've got other things on my mind. And that's what I think Paul is saying is like, if this is how you were saved, do that. Keep Mm -hmm. doing that because your salvation, your life, was not just a moment in time. It's an ongoing thing, and you've been raised with Christ, so keep seeking him. He actually Mm -hmm. says in... uh, Chapter two, verse six, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, Mm -hmm. rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. It's like the things you did at the very beginning of your Christian life, what were those things? Faith, prayer hungering after the word, being mm-hmm. in fellowship with believers, seeking after God, repentance, um, desire, all those things, your whole life should just be a deepening of those things. Not like, oh yeah, I used to do that back then, and but now I'm good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, people, people really get in a lot of trouble when they live their lives that way. Yeah, I used to do this when I was in trouble, when I was spiritually in need, now I don't do that anymore because I'm good to go. It's dangerous. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And that's you know what the church in Ephesus was um, rebuked for by Jesus. Like you left your first love. You know, they didn't just like, where did I put my first love? You know, it was like they they left it. Yeah, yeah. Because they, they weren't it. They, they weren't doing these things. They weren't keeping their minds uh, on Christ. And I wanted to read actually some different translations on setting the mind, because it just brings it out a little bit more. Um, Passion translation says, feast on all the treasures of the heavenly realm and fill your thoughts with heavenly realities. Mm. The um, God's Word translation says, keep your mind on things above. The Good News translation, keep your minds fixed on the things of heaven. The uh, easy-to-read version, think only about what is up there. Another one says, mind the matters above. Keep thinking. There's this whole idea of, like, just keep keep doing that, you know? And I can tell you, as as, as long as I have kept doing that, I've not had to worry about, oh, am I going to sin today? Oh, the lust and temptation that's going to be there. I, I'm just like, I want my mind to be fixed on Christ. So where before I was like, okay, how can I free myself from temptation? How can I keep myself from giving in? It's like setting my mind on Jesus, just... Dims and just renders temptation just
0: not desirable,
1: mm. you know as much. So mm.
0: yeah, and I've, yeah, really, as I've studied different books, Galatians, Colossians, Ephesians, Romans, it's like there there's really three elements that I think Paul hits on over and over and over. Put off your old self be renewed in the spirit of your mind, put on the new self. That is what we should occupy ourselves with every single day of our whole life. Mm -hmm. Do not let your old self have dominion, find expression, reign in your life, and then immerse your mind in the things of God, whether that's the Bible or prayer or fellowship. Just have your mind be renewed and then put on a new kind of life, the kind of life that you were given at salvation mm-hmm. and that's all here in this in this passage again is those three elements you know we've got to put something off we've got to be changed in in our internal nature and then we have to work that out he says it a little differently here the order is sort of flip-flop from how he says it in Ephesians here he's talking about almost like put on the new self first and but also put to death with what is mm-hmm. earthly in you. But it's not really the order that matters, it's just that having those things in your life, mm-hmm. all three things, all the time, uh, that is like the way you grow into this knowledge of of Jesus and this very strong, vibrant Christian life. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, when you were saying you know, we gotta put to death the earthly body, the NASB says it, Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead. And I didn't like that. That just seems to be just kind of like, just think about it. Mm. Just think that the members of your body. But it's like, no, the Greek is like, put it to death. Um, put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you is what the new living says. Um, there's this active part of our faith that, well, say our faith is active. It's it's not just like you had said. It's not just a one-time thing. And I go. Live and do whatever I want. No, we have an enemy. We still have an enemy, enemy within, enemy without. we've got to be we got to be on our guard. And so, you know, putting to death those things within us is is key. Mm-hmm. It, is really vital to our walk with the Lord and having a victorious life. You know, over sexual sin.
0: But I was loving what you were saying because for people who haven't heard your story before you came to Pure Life, you were trying desperately to put to death the things that were inside you. Like, I remember the lengths that you went to to try to break free of sexual sin, mm-hmm. but you weren't setting your minds on things above, your mind on things above. Like, you weren't falling in love with Jesus. You were just trying to make sure I don't do these things. Mm-hmm. But then that combination of I'm going to set my mind on things above and I'm going to put to death the things that are still earthly in me, like that. I mean, I hate to say it's like the magic sauce. What does that even mean? Or the secret sauce. But seriously, I mean, Paul is saying that, that that combination where you seek very earnestly after God and deal with your sin, it just leads to a very fruitful life.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you've got to have both. Uh you know, you could say my past life before pure life, I was trying to Put to death the deeds of my flesh, but I hadn't repented. I hadn't surrendered to the Lord. He hadn't put His life in me. He, I didn't have the Holy Spirit. I, I wasn't. I wasn't saved. I said I was a Christian, so I, I got to just not do these things. But yet they still are attacking me. I'm still giving in to them. I got to put them to death. But I had no life in me. Mm. I had not, you know, as, as Paul says in Romans six, I wasn't walking in a newness of life. I was still in that old life. And so when. When I finally surrendered, when I finally repented and just said, Lord, take my life, I mean, he gave me the strength. He, he, you know, just seeing him on the cross, feeling the love, feeling the mercy, you know, why would I want to turn away from that? Mm. Why, why would I want to give my mind and my heart, my affections to, to what put him on the cross? So that, mm. you know, just coming to that realization is what has kept me Walking victoriously and just setting my mind on those things. Mm. So, yeah, for for me in this this section, I really kind of could sum it up as as these three things that I kind of pulled out. We we realize we're dead. We respond um, with deadness to our flesh, and we renew the new self. Really, with the oncoming verses, the next the next section, we renew that new self because that is. What's coming up, what Paul's about to talk about is really the life of Christ. Mm-hmm. It's really a, what a Christ-like life looks like, and that's mm-hmm. how we renew the new self every day. And so, um, I mean, these verses really just kind of speak for themselves. I don't really have any kind of commentary on them.
0: Mm. Yeah, I guess the only thing I might say, and this came up last last episode with Ken, but when when Paul talks about becoming more Christ-like and talks about knowledge of, of God, or in this case, he says in verse 10, you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. He's very practical. He He's talking about dealing with your behavior deal with the way you think deal with the way you act toward other people deal with the way you live this is not just well if i if i listen to some sermons and if i have some good christian doctrine and teaching then i become godly it's it's very practical like mm-hmm. how do you deal with the fact that you are tempted toward sexual immorality how do you deal with the fact that you have temptations toward anger or malice or slander, you know, do you lie? Because you can't grow in knowledge of the Christ life without changing your behavior, you know, Mm -hmm. the way you live. So I think that that's maybe helpful is just to realize how practical this is and that those things matter. Like as I'm trying to really pursue the Lord, it's like, look at my life not just try to accumulate a bunch of information. Mhm. Yeah, it's all it's all internal. It's like what Paul talks
1: about in Romans 12:2. Don't be conformed to the world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And all that transformation happens from within mm. and it, it's got to work its way out. It's you know conforming I used to have a job in a fiberglass factory before I started working here and we would lay fiberglass layers into a mold. And we would press that mold in. We'd put epoxy in resonant. We'd press it as close as we could to the edge of the mold. So that when it hardened and popped it off, it looked exactly like what it was supposed to do. So it was pressures from the outside, uh, trying to conform to an image, whereas transformation is more like you know a butterfly, caterpillar going into a butterfly. Um, it's this metamorphosis is the Greek, the Greek word. So we have all of these outward actions that result from something that is inwardly happened mm
0: yeah, working out what God has worked in mm-hmm. so and we we could just say too, like we're not trying to make it sound as if, oh, it's just simple, mm-hmm. you know, just do it right it's not like that you you really do end up in a relationship with a very personal God who helps you learn how to do this stuff mm-hmm. um so things like... You know, like we were talking about, well, I got to put off the old self, I have to be renewed in the spirit of my mind, I have to put on the new self. It's like, oh yeah, I should just do that, it's simple. It There's a very personal aspect to the Christian life where you're learning from Jesus how to do that, or to work out your salvation, because it's God is working in you to will and to do, mm-hmm. or what you were talking about, don't be conformed to the image of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It takes time to learn how to do that with the Lord. Mm -hmm. But if you have him, then he can teach you. Whereas in the past, it was just all the works of the flesh or striving to be something that we didn't have any capacity to be because we hadn't received that new life. Yeah, I'm not perfect
1: in my walk for sure. And in 17 years, I've I've stumbled some, you know, I've, I've not done this, uh, not done it well, but Jesus has been with me the whole way, like what you are saying, I tried everything in the flesh to do it, because um, I just didn't, I didn't want God to be angry with me, I didn't want him to be upset with me, I was like, I'm a good boy, you know, I, you know, I grew up in the church, so I, I had a working understanding of Christianity, but nothing kind of ever sunk in really. But once I surrendered my life to him, like, he's been there. And he's been very patient with me, and he is—he has helped me. And my favorite verse, um, one of my favorite verses, is Song of Solomon 8, 5. It's either 5 or 6, where it says, who is this coming up from the wilderness leaning on her beloved? I mean, that's a picture of every Christian's walk, but especially for me, it's just life is a wilderness, and I'm just learning how to lean into him the whole way through. Mm. And he's just... He's proven himself to be so faithful to me uh, over these 17 years. And i if there's any kind of monicum of Christ-likeness in me that anybody sees, it's only because I'm just <laughs> trying to lean into him. Because I, I see my flesh a lot, but Jesus is just right there, and he's conforming me or transforming me into his image just the more and more
0: I lean into him. Yeah. And so then on our level or whatever... Uh, how would you say that? I guess like the two aspects, the one aspect is Christ working these things into us through his Holy Spirit and then our responsibility to work those things out. I guess that's sort of what verse 12 to 17 is all about, right? It's like our our responsibility to become what God has made us. I don't, <laughs> it's hard to say it real easily, but.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's the mystery of, I guess, the gospel, the Christian walk. You know, he does he does a work and we have to partner with him and all of that. And, you know, I was just looking down and it says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. How do we know what the peace of Christ looks like unless we're, you know, with him, unless we're hearing him, unless we're setting our mind like we've been talking about? How do we know the word of Christ unless we're getting into the Bible, unless we're you know surrounding ourselves with like-minded believers.
0: Why does he, you know, in your study looking at verse 12, and he's talking about like, okay, you got to seek the things that are above and you got to put to death what's earthly in you. And he lists all these things, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, anger, wrath, malice, slander. Why does Paul focus on when he says put on then? compassionate hearts kindness humility meekness patience bearing with one another why does he focus on those things what did you learn about that
1: well I mean those that's you know the fruit of the spirit I mean that's God that's who god is that's it's not just a list of these are some pretty good things that you should probably do this is god himself I mean this is who he is and so this is the this is the new self it's just it's just God. I mean, that's what he does. He bears with us. He forgives us. He is love. You know, he's in perfect peace and unity. Um, he's complete compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. I mean, that's, that's who he is. Hmm.
0: Yeah, this is interesting because that is all about how I treat somebody else. Being compassionate. And kind and humble and meek and patient and bearing with other people. And like our culture, I think, maybe I, I could be wrong, but it seems like our culture in a lot of ways says knowledge is power. You know, like if I can know more than other people, then I somehow embody the life of Christ more than others. And mm-hmm. Paul is basically like, here's what you need to know. You need to know that you've got to treat others the way God treats us mm. instead of focusing on just learning and accumulating. It's like, how about this? How about you go out and really give your life away for other people? Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's true. You know, that's what the that whole Gnostic thought was, like, knowledge is everything. And in fact, I was one of the commentaries was like, they put knowledge above faith. Knowledge was like the supreme thing you needed to understand, and it was only for a select few. And the rest of humanity couldn't achieve that knowledge, so they had to regulate. They, they were regulated to just faith, and that's all that they could attain to was just this faith, whatever that looked like, but there's this other group where knowledge is supreme. Hmm. Wow.
0: Yeah, and it's not it's not that Paul says that learning isn't important, or the doctrine isn't important, or or truth, and I mean, he talks later, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching, admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. But even in that, there's a sense of togetherness, like this isn't just about my personal progress or my personal understanding, but it's like, this is about us really growing together. And I feel like I probably have not done this well in my life. I tend to be pretty individualistic and the Lord has had to deal with me on that. Like, man, this isn't about you. The Christian life is not just about you. This is about you giving your life for the good of other people because their needs are as important as yours, and in my mind, like this is how the Lord is, I don't know, that in my mind, their needs should be more important than my own, mm. and that's not natural <laughs> at all, but yeah. that's some of what I see in this, yeah, because knowledge puffs up,
1: say mm-hmm. love edifies is that what it says, yeah, mm-hmm. so these are all just it's it's love, you know loving other people, and that's really what we're supposed to do is edify each other in this way.
0: You know, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking about people who they know that God really has done a work in their life, but they're still in the battle with sexual sin and they're kind of like asking themselves, "What am I missing?" You know, maybe there's some mm. secret piece of knowledge that I'm still missing and they're really they're really looking for it. And I guess I would It seems like Paul is saying here in this passage, listen, you don't need anything else. You don't need any more Mm -hmm. piece of knowledge. What you really need is to just continue doing what God taught you to do in salvation. Mm -hmm. Keep seeking after him in a real way. Keep putting to death the things that are in you, those earthly things, and then give your life For other people, you know, and God will, in that, God will fill you with, He'll keep filling you with the fullness of Jesus. He'll keep making you into the image of Jesus in a deeper way. We don't need to, I don't have to go to seminary or become a Bible scholar in order Mm -hmm. to overcome some of these things. I just have to do the simple things I learned at the beginning. Right. Yeah. Like, I
1: miss it a lot. <laughs> like, I get things messed up a lot. I, uh, I have a lot of fears. And so Peter, when he said, where else can I go? You have the words of life. That has been like my life verse. I cling to that because I'm like, I get in my head a lot. Mm. And I feel like I've missed something too much or, you know, I get into this despair sometimes. And then the Lord will just, man, he'll just. I call it ambushing me with his love and mercy. Like, I will just come to him just so empty at times and be like, Lord, I'm trying. I don't know what else to do, and I just give up. And then he just pours his love on me. And it's like, what was I even fearing? <laughs> Why was I even in that place? And he's just like, just just trust me. Just just come to me and just keep seeking after me. And it's just that continually keeping seeking after him mm. that is. We're saying the word a lot, keeping, but that keeping has kept me because he sees that I'm wanting to keep him,
0: and so he keeps me. All right, that's it for this episode. And if you were blessed by Josh's testimony, I just want to encourage you, if you'll do what he did, that testimony will be yours too. Josh fell in love with Jesus, and that caused him to want to set his mind on the one that he loved. And as Josh did that, day by day, week by week, month by month, the things of the world grew strangely dim. May the Lord help all of us this week to set our minds more fully on him. All right, our next passage is John chapter 15, verses 1 to 11. We hope you'll study alongside of us and then join us next week. God bless.